Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Nick Amabile, CEO of data analytics consulting firm DOS42, on what it takes to build a data-driven organization and shift cultural mindsets around data. Welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Nick. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey Christian. How are you? Thanks for having me. So Nick Amabile, uh, CEO of DAS42. Yeah, uh, DAS42. Yep. DAS42, a U.S. data analytics consulting firm that helps companies make better decisions faster. And I'm excited to dig into some of what you do and the, the mechanics of that. We're focusing today on what it takes to build a data-driven organization and a shift. And I'm more interested in the cultural shift. So what does yeah. it actually take to shift mindsets towards data-driven management and, and yeah, organization? It's, yeah, it's a great, great question. And I mean, I think um, you know, a lot of a lot of clients that we work with at DOS 42 to implement a lot of these modern data platforms. They start with a technology first approach, which is almost inevitably the wrong sort of way to start. <laughs> well, that, that's like the, the key. It's like every presentation I give, it talks about there's yeah. technology, there's process, there's people. Yeah. We all focus on technology because it's the easiest to go and focus on. Yeah. focus on. The hardest part is the people side. Well, see, this is, this is why I actually started a consulting firm rather than a software company. I mean, there's great technology out there for data and analytics. And if you look at some of the uh, the blog posts that talk about the state of data and analytics, you'll see like a thousand different logos and all these different places. And, and to be honest, as even as a practitioner, it's very difficult for me to understand what each of these things do and, and you know how they fit together and how they're actually going to impact the business, right? So that was really why, you know, at DOS42, we, we talk about how we're a business consulting firm rather than an IT services firm, because we're trying to help people solve problems we just happen to do that with data and cloud technology, right? And I, analytics, right? That's that's what we do. That so you just made a very important distinction too between uh, you know uh, it's the the people side of mm. it's it's what you're actually trying to do with the data versus being focused on the data. It's like you know the, the traditional IT pro role where you're focused on keeping servers up and running and that side of it. Well, no, the goal, your business is not about keeping servers up and running. It's about what's running on those servers, the data and the solutions and what you're trying to do with that, that software around it. Well, I always like to begin um, by understanding my guest background. So why don't you give us that, you know, what is your background? How did you get involved with the data analytics side of things? And, you know, and in general, what's the backstory of the company as well? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, so, you know, I went to college and studied economics and this is kind of before data analytics programs were actually a thing. And now you can actually go to college for these kind of things, right? Yeah. Uh, but I was always interested in, interested in computers. And I took a lot of you know econom- econometrics courses and did a lot of statistical programming and really was interested in the technical side. Uh, and started out at an economics consulting firm, learned a ton there, uh, really found my interest in, on the technical side of data analytics because essentially as an economics consulting firm, we were running all these different statistical analyses with programming and things like that. But realized that you know consulting, ironically at least at that point, wasn't for me. And spent a lot of years in different tech startups. Uh, you know, had a great opportunity to learn a ton of different things. You know, from finance to operations, but really focused on always the quantitative aspect of things. Um, and then most recently, I was the head of business intelligence at Jet.com before DOS 42. And prior to that, I was in senior analytics roles at Etsy. 
and as you said, right, you know, I, I've faced a lot of these problems myself in my career uh, in the trenches, right? And I've seen, you know, the, the the way that, you know, the business team will come to the technology team and say, hey, I've got a problem. Can you help me fix it? They put together some huge requirements document. The IT team will go off for six months, a year, whatever, come back with something and say, here it is, business. And the business folks will be like, what? This isn't what I asked for. What, what is this supposed to do, right? And so there's this sort of gap in the middle where you have you know, business teams that don't necessarily understand the full kind of technology around data and analytics. And then the technology side, which doesn't always understand those business use cases. And so my passion is really about you know, filling and bridging that gap between business and, and technology. And that's what we do at DOS42. So uh, is the DOS 42 name, does it have anything to do with uh, answers to life, the universe and everything? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's also Jackie Robinson's number, but you know, that's just a happy coincidence. It's definitely the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. And you know, the, for folks who are familiar with that uh, reference, I mean, the real critical thing that, that struck me about that is it's about asking the right question. Like, how can you understand the answer? If you don't understand the question and so that's really a big part of what we do at dos 42 as consultants again not as it folks but we help folks really understand their questions and then really help shape them and, and drive them to, to resolution well you know it's so again another great point there is, is understanding the, the right questions to ask i mean the, yeah. there's a you know, a lot of very smart people out there much smarter than i that you know talk about like that fundamental problem no matter where you're which position you're coming from it, it even for companies that aren't in technology they're thinking well what does it mean to be a, a data-centric company from my perspective mm -hmm. like we we create widgets we we're we're doing something very non-tech well yeah but every one of those organizations any company that's growing is going to have their crm or erp solutions so your supply chain management you might have depending again there's so much that's happening around like internet of things, IOT out there. So if you have any kind of facilities, if you're monitoring things, I mean, there is transaction data out there on every system, marketing systems, sales systems, all those different things. But what does it mean to truly embrace being like a data centric organization? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I mean, companies, produce data, uh, whether or not they sort of actually uh, sort of realize it or not, right? I mean, and especially these days, a lot of our clients, they come to us in a moment of transition for their businesses as well, right? So they have um, maybe their wholesalers and they're moving to direct to consumer and they're moving from brick and mortar to e-commerce or, you know, movies to digital streaming. So there's, there's this profound kind of shift in a lot of these businesses that come to us. But the real key you know, thing about becoming a data centric company is actually getting data to like a democratization kind of thing, right? It's like, how do I get the marketing people in my company, the, the customer service people, the sales people, the ability to ask and answer their own questions, you know, as a centralized analyst, IT team, or whatever you want to call it, you know, we're not going to be able to understand all the questions and uh, that, that a marketing or salesperson is going to want to answer. They know a whole bunch more about marketing and sales than I do, right? So, Let's give them the capabilities and the tools to be able to ask and answer their own questions. And what we find too is like, you know, let's say I, you ask for a report, I give you a report. Um, you're going to have a whole bunch more questions when you see that data and that information, right? You're going to be like, okay, cool. Let me drill into this. Let me ask this. And so it's a very iterative process of getting, you know, asking questions, getting answers, asking more questions, and so on and so forth. That we really need to enable that that capability throughout our organization. So that that's certainly one piece of it. You know, one of my, so one of my favorite people from the, within the Microsoft ecosystem I work is this uh, woman, uh, Susan Hanley, Sue Hanley. She hates it when people call her Susan. It's a Sue Hanley, who's like information architecture, uh, you, know, you know, expert that's out there. She always talks about the difference. She hates the word requirement. So it's not about going mm -hmm. and gathering requirements, like what are you trying to do? It's about 
defining the outcomes. Like, what are you really trying to achieve? And so that's one of the hangups. I think you know, what I've seen with between, uh, you know, trying to identify, well, what data are we gathering and what reporting do you need and, and asking people what they need is like, what are you trying to accomplish? What is what does success look like at the end of this? And the path to get there is determined by that end state. But if we're all caught up in, we look through the world through the lenses of our understanding. So if I have that spreadsheet view of this, of this current dashboard, I'm going to limit my view of what's possible based on what I think I understand today. And all of which ignores what I'm actually trying to achieve. I know this, this, I, I'm, I know I'm speaking out in the fluffy, this, the, uh, the, the ethereal, uh, you know, kind of leadership development speak around this, but I think you're, you keep nodding. So you like understand, you know, the, I, this problem. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean, and that, and that's exactly where, you know, we find a lot of our, our clients at there's sort of like, Hey, I want to implement snowflake or I want this report or I have these requirements, but I'm like, okay. Uh, tell me how your business makes money. Like, tell me, you know, what you actually sort of care about. And let me, let me, right. let me understand a lot more about your business. And to your point, you know, you, you hit on something that's really interesting that we've had a lot of our, our customers really talk to us about is we did, we just don't know the art of the possible, like what's even possible here. Right. And so that's a big part of what we do with our customers is sort of understand their workflows their business processes, their goals, you know, how they make money, all this stuff. And then we say, okay, cool, here's where I think we can augment these processes and workflows with data and analytics to really accelerate what you're trying to do. You, you know, I started my career as a business analyst. So as I mentioned before we started recording here, I, so I, I, you know, early in my career, I was at uh, you know, yeah, EDS and working for this in the state of California uh, doing this stuff. But I, from that process, I, I, I understood very quickly that there's kind of a danger and, you know, you ask somebody, well, what are your requirements? Or, or even what your outcomes are, depending on the language you use, but what your requirements are, and they give you that perspective, again, based on the, the lens of their understanding. But if you go in and show them all of the new stuff and then ask them the requirements, then they overinflate everything that they really need for the business. Like find that balance between showing them the cool stuff and the art of the possible, but also trying to temper that with what are you actually trying to accomplish for the business? Again, that, there's a balancing act there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are no clear answers or, or no it's kind of silver bullets, right? I mean, like it's always sort of a, a collaborative process. Um, but to your point, right, we understand a lot of the basics of the business. We try to get, you know, 75, 80% of kind of just the foundation laid, right? That's that's really the first piece. And the other piece is, you know, delivering a use case end to end is super important in these type of projects, because essentially, you know, a lot of projects, again, fail, not just from a technology perspective, but from a process standpoint, around taking too long to deliver business business value, trying to boil the ocean, right? And what we want to do is deliver something that's so, um, you know, all the, uh, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed, very, uh, you know, relevant to, to the use case and to the stakeholders that we're working with. So that way they get super excited. They're like, this is great, right? Because otherwise, you know, if we roll out something and it seems a little off, the data doesn't seem right, the, the, the labeling isn't consistent with the way they think about things, they're going to say, hey, this is all broken, this doesn't work, and I'm never going to trust it again. So you kind of have that one opportunity to make first impression, and we want to make sure that that's a fantastic first impression. Well, that's like any, again, kind of project management-centric approach to it is you know, piloting, trial things out, yeah. and, and uh, thankfully... Thankfully, people uh, you know around the world have kind of come to their senses about being more an agile approach to problem solving, not just development. 
in, you know, fewer number of features or goals and you know, intent. Let's go and pilot this. Let's learn from, let's measure that thing. And then yep. let's try something and build on those successes rather than, you know, the waterfall method and try to do everything over an 18 month project. And then hopefully it all goes right. Yeah. I mean, you know, th these are certainly solved problems in a lot of domains. You know, it, I think it would surprise you uh, to how much many of these sort of kind of software development, agile practices are still missing from the data and analytics landscape, you know? And so that's some, something that, again, not necessarily a groundbreaking idea, but, you know, we're going to take all the best practices that we learn on how to develop products and platforms and change businesses and business processes. We're going to take all those best practices and insert them into this data and analytics landscape. So, um, you know, again, somewhat surprising, but, you know, we're trying to take you know, lessons learned and, and apply them here. Well, one, and I'd love to get your perspective on this, because one problem that I've seen throughout my career is what I call the management by spreadsheet problem. <laughs> and it's this idea is, you know, managers of organizations that become overly reliant on these dashboards and data and ignore a lot of the context that's around that data. Uh, and so, I mean, I've seen, I could walk you through examples of this where I've experienced where I fought this battle uh, where sometimes where people's jobs were on the line because of interpretation of stats versus what was actually happening. And at the, at the time, and one example uh, that I, that I, where this person was uh, in danger of losing his job, it was because here was somebody who had performance-wise lower numbers than everyone across the entire organization. It was a support, a technical support organization. When the reality was, this was one of the more senior people who was taking on the hairiest, scariest problems. And so the number of solutions of tickets closed was at the bottom. Uh, the mean time to resolution of that, that primary stat that they were tracking in operations, but he's taking the ugliest problems off of other people's plates and working closely with the product team. And one of the ways... I know this is a little bit more in the weeds, but one of the ways I went and prote helped protect him in this role was I alerted the product team that relied on him as being that primary voice into support operations. I said, this guy's in danger of his job. And they went and ran it up to the VP. Like, are you kidding me? This is our go-to person. Um, but that's just, again, that just another example of that where people get so bogged down and focused on the spreadsheet and maybe it just kind of goes back to what you're talking about before of not understand what are we actually trying to achieve? What are the goal of these things? Yeah, no. And I think you, you're kind of hitting on a really great point about the context of data and the context is super critical. So like in that case, right, maybe you could have added a complexity measure or something like that, like a level of effort, maybe the, the hairy ones would, you know, would be uh, high for him. Right. But, you know, I think to your point though, what we, what we come in and do a lot of cases, data democratization is nothing without the data literacy and the data governance aspect. So we're getting back to the, the process and the people side of it. Again, not, not the technology side, right? It's great if you can give data to everyone in the company, but they also need to understand what they're looking at. They need to have trust in it. They need to have transparent definitions, right? Around, okay, what does this metric mean? How is it calculated? Is this the right view of the data for the context in which I'm operating in? And again, I think the other piece is, you know, in that case, maybe what we would have needed to do is think about how do we get data to the frontline folks and the frontline folks, again, they have the most context of what's going on. And so it's not like, hey, we're going to roll up this dashboard to the CEO and the CEO is going to make all the decisions. It's no, we need to make the decisions. Like you said, the product team is, is they're freaking out, right? They're like, why is this person's metric so low? 
we we know that there's something else to the story here. They have the context and and sort of being able to get the the data in their hands uh, to, to the folks with the context is super important. Well, I I do want to get back to this this idea of you know what is the profile of uh, or, or you know of a data driven strategy and and data driven decision making within an organization. One of the the companies that I think of, I think it's just a great case study is the clothing manufacturer Zara. Uh, you're sure, I don't know if you've ever read into case studies around that. So there's a Harvard Business Review case study that's out there and talking about, you know, since 2004, they've grown like 220, 230% uh, wow. in revenue there. But the more impressive thing, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but is the fact that they were able to reduce the their, their learning about in-store purchases globally on a like a daily basis, the roll-up of data, and they could very quickly look at localized preferences in fabrics, in designs. They moved the, they decreased the process of creating a new design or a modified design from design to delivery in stores to weeks, from yep. months, if not years, uh, for that process to weeks and to deliver things. And so one of the, I guess the, the downsides to that, if you're ever in a Zara store, if you're a Zara customer, if you see something you really like, be like, ah, oh, maybe I'll come back and get it. It likely will never be in the store again because they are constantly replenishing their, their, but that is somebody, it's a company that is so focused on data and they have that success to be able to show where they're performing, where they should be opening stores. You know, they know who's buying, what they're buying, what aspects of the clothing that they're, that they're, they're buying. So that is, I think a, that's what I think of when I think data centric organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great example. And I think there's a couple of things that are kind of instructive when people, when folks are saying, Hey, I want to get there. How, how do I do it? You know, one of the things that you mentioned is having all this data, uh, centralized and having all these different types of data centralized. So in other words, you have the data about uh, what types of clothes we have in inventory, what, what's the manufacturing process, but of course, what's the sales uh, sort of uh, by store at a customer level. So all this data, typically in most companies live in these disparate sort of data silos, centralizing the data is the first aspect. Then you can start to join it, mix and match it and really create a holistic picture of your business. And then the other piece, though, you know, you kind of mentioned spreadsheets before. We've, we've seen a lot of customers that we worked with, you know, where they take, you know, six hours to put together a spreadsheet once a week, you know, for some quarterly or weekly business review. And that's, that's, that's not fast enough for the pace of modern business, right? We want to make sure that we're getting data as quickly as possible to the folks who need it uh, in a way that's not manual uh, and take those folks who are in the spreadsheets, uh, spending that six hours a week and getting them to actually start to produce insights from the data and socialize those insights rather than focusing on information retrieval. So it's, you know, in that case, you know, centralizing your data, automating it, and then making sure that, again, the purchasing managers, the inventory managers, the demand planners, the, the store folks have all the data at their fingertips so they can start to drill down and slice and dice. Uh, again, a spreadsheet, you're not going to be able to drill down into a metric. You just have, you know, aggregate data in the spreadsheet. You, you don't have all the individual purchases. You don't have all the individual inventory SKUs, that kind of thing. So those are a couple of things that I take from that lesson and then certainly something that we help our clients do. So what are some of the patterns or behaviors that you see as you start to work with new clients? I mean, there have to be, I mean, we're talking about data. You've done enough projects. You can look at the data of the customers that have come in. So what are some of the recurring, I don't know, gaps that you see in how organizations are approaching this problem? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. Like I said, you know, we definitely see the, the data silos, uh, you know, I think even in our company, which is like a 65 person company at DOS 42, you know, we probably use 35, 40 different software as a service applications, right? And those are all different data silos. Essentially, we have our time card data, we have our financial data, ERP data. Uh, so we see that a lot of that stuff. We also see uh, that information retrieval, the manual uh, aspect of it, which is, of course, very error prone. Uh, and then one of the key things, like I mentioned uh, a few uh, minutes ago, is really that differing definitions for the same metric across different parts of the organization. So this kind of gets more back to the people problem or the process problem where, you know, if I ask you what you mean by revenue and I say what I mean by revenue, we're going to have a completely different definition. Uh, and even something as critical as like orders, customers, revenue, sales, like some of the real basic stuff. And so what we do with our customers is really document all these definitions and sort of start to reconcile them. And there, of course, are great use cases for folks to have a slightly different view on revenue. The, the, the accounting definition of revenue may not be relevant to the Zara use case when folks are trying to figure out where we should move our inventory around. Um, so but the definitional aspect is, is certainly one of the most critical things that we see our, our, our clients uh, struggle with. Well, that's, you know, now you're starting to, to wander into the realm of governance and change yeah. management around that and why those things yeah. are so critical. Because a lot of it is just simple things like that is just to make sure that, you know, we have a shared understanding. What are we trying to accomplish here? What the goals are? And it's fine for the sales organization to have different definitions of what revenue is, how it's recognized, how it's being tracked. Obviously, when you're you, you you need to have those, you can't make assumptions. We all know what happens when we make assumptions about you know acronyms, about uh, you know definitions of things that we're doing. So talk through that. What is the actual end result of that? And to make sure, oh, I see what you're looking for. The revenue that's actually a different data set. That's a different area. What we're capturing. All right, let's go and and look at how are we manage this and what's the impact of that change to everything else that we already have running across the system. Yeah, that's 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 a great question. And I mean, you know, it kind of starts with, you know, a data catalog and just sort of exposing what's available. But we also want to make sure that we're exposing a canonical version of some report so that we're, we're giving the data, the right data to the right folks at the right time. So data catalog, um, you know, the data literacy aspect that we talked about before, making sure that the, the definitions um, are standardized, there's a steward that's maintaining those. And really taking almost a, a product management approach uh, to, to data uh, versus kind of this more software development approach. Like we want to, again, release something. And when it's released, it needs to have its accompanying documentation. It needs to have certain SLAs available to it. So I know that I can rely on this data. Like every day it's going to be updated and refreshed or whatever the cadence is. Um, you know, again, much more of a product management uh, approach. And then also that change management aspect, too. Um, training, enablement, like all the stuff that we do as a consulting firm to, to bring these new tools to bear. Um, you know, if I put all, all your data in a big data warehouse, uh, you're going to be like, Nick, who cares, right? Like, that's not actually doing anything for me. So we right. want to make sure that folks are using it, it's adopted, uh, and, and it's trusted. I mean, that's, that we talk a little bit about data quality and things like that, but that's, that's all super critical pieces. And it's not one thing, unfortunately, it's a whole program of things. Well, you know, I don't know if it's just like my observation, my experience of where the things that I've been working on, but it seems like, you know, the, the, the title of a DBA, like seemed uh -huh. to disappear for many years. And, and thankfully with a lot of what happened with around the cloud and with all these cloud-based services and, uh, you know, it, 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 a number of people have been saying this, but, you know, every data problem is a big data problem. I, there are massive amounts of content. So is that price of storage has dropped down and everybody just started saving everything everybody has 
a big data problem. And, and so a lot of it is we'll save everything because we don't know what we're going to do with it yet. And, and companies are really just now over the last handful of years starting to explore, hey, what can we do? Again, it goes back to that art of the possible around analytics. Um, but it, is it in just in my imagination or did we see kind of a drop in the focus from a, like a DBA standpoint until we start to see organizations really starting to hire data scientists to come in and do that? And I know they're not the same thing, but, you know, I, I, I just feel like, you know, the, the early 2000s, we started moving to cloud and more distributed uh, you know, data across so many di in different systems. The, the purest DBAs seem to just disappear or back with the old data center uh, projects. Uh, and, and, but there, it's like the new things, the cachet term. It's, it's, it's like that new role, everything old becomes new again. Right. Well, yeah. That's actually what I was thinking when you were talking, it's like kind of all the old things that come back, uh, you know, DBAs, data management. Well, data IT management. is cyclical. <laughs> we know that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to your point, I mean, like, you know, I think there, there's a couple of trends. I mean, like, you know, when I was at Etsy, we, we worked a lot in Hadoop and Hadoop was like the hottest technology back then. And, you know, to your point, uh, all the data was big data. We're like, oh man, we got all this data, right? Um, but it required a different set of skills to work with Hadoop. And, and you know, for example, you had to learn Java or Scala or Python or something like that. And, and it made it very difficult to access that data and to work with it. And only a few select people in the company could, could really work with it. Um, nowadays, we see, like you said, cloud technology is advancing, storage is cheaper. Um, you know, now things can be done in SQL. You don't have to know Java and most people know SQL as analysts or data scientists. And then the cloud technology has just gotten much easier to use. Stuff like Snowflake is, is you know, you're no longer managing clusters and nodes and, you know, Zookeeper and all this other stuff that you would have to deal with, you know, in, in the Hadoop land. You kind of just push a button and then, and then it comes up. So, you know, again, I think this is all a positive trend for the industry because it's really focusing now less on the, you know, IT technical side. It's more around like, hey, what can we do with this data? Like you said, bring folks bring on data scientists uh, and, and then also making them much more productive in terms of saying, well, now there's all these tools for data science that you don't need to know, you know, Python, Java, R, you, you, you could just know statistics and the models and then start to actually work with that data relatively quickly. I have to say that uh, you've probably recognized too that we've kind of fallen into the trap where we've talked almost entirely about technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we, we did get it. We get down that road. I mean, we're, we're, I think, you know, we're probably both tech nerds here. So that, that, that's, that's, that's the trap, right? We always love the new shiny new thing. And we're like, okay, how can we, you know, use this? But at the end of the day, you're right. You, you got to focus on the people in the process side. But, hey, I'm, so I'm asking the question. So I, it's, it's, I'm, that was, <laughs> That was part of my plan to walk you through the outline of the, no, but it go. would be great to, if we can, you know, kind of turn our attention. I want to talk specifically about um, talking about the role of data and building and managing teams specifically. I talked about like that, you know, what the problems that I've seen that are out there that they you know, the, the management by spreadsheet, like that side of things. So how does data play into, uh, you know, your recommendations? If I'm a, a, company founder, I'm hiring, you know, left and right around that to structure things around data as I build my organization. Yeah, there's, there's a couple, there's a couple of things. I mean, just kind of speaking first specifically about the data kind of roles, responsibilities and team structures that are out there. Um, you know, and, and the other thing I'll say is like, you have these titles that are very confusing, even to practitioners in the industry. So if you say data scientists and I say data scientists, again, we're, we're you know, may have two different ideas of what that is. 
Um, but typically there's some sort of, you know, data engineering folks there's, who manage the platform and a lot of the technology. They're more of like the software development type uh, folks. You have the data analysts, which are more kind of business facing and, and sort of understand a little bit more of the business context. But, you know, what we're seeing, you know, typically those, those would be two separate teams. Uh, and that, again, creates a gap you know, we talked about before. Once you start to, to bifurcate them, now we still have this IT versus, versus business side of the coin. So yep. we're seeing a lot of more companies you know, adopt this sort of matrix type organization where you have a full set of capabilities in the team. You might have uh, you know, a data engineer, a data analyst, a data scientist, and a product manager, and perhaps even a project manager. Well, right. and, and then you have, you know, sales operations, marketing operations, each wish yep. have a role within that. So, yeah. Yep. And, and so then we take these little pods and then we sort of start to assign them to different business functional areas. Um, and so that's a little bit more of a newer style of things. Typically, there would be like a centralized analytics team or a decentralized team. Uh, and so, the, you know, both have pros and cons and, and both have different, um, you know, their their place in different sizes and maturity levels of companies, but I think I really like this new kind of matrix model. It's called almost data mesh is kind of the new term for it. But folks are basically this cross functional team that has all the capabilities to solve a problem end to end, and then actually release it. And it's focused more on a domain area, you know, domain of the business like marketing, like sales, like customer yep. service, whatever it is. You're talking about old being new again. Yeah. So one of the uh, so back in ninety. 9293 I went through and did JAD RAD training, which is Joint Application Development, Rapid Application Development concept. Um, which you know, got the same thing it was the, the ability for get everybody, all the key stakeholders within it, but go through that process. And there's a methodology there, but you, where we were literally sequestered into a conference room like all day for multiple days, might be a week or or, or two weeks to develop end to end, have everybody there that needs to make a, a decision that's part of the solution that you're developing to go in and build that. I know not quite the same thing. It just kind of- Oh, very similar. Very brought similar. Brought that and, up in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, very similar. I mean, like, again, like this is also like a lot of software development teams kind of operate in this way and almost like a full stack mentality, right? Where you have all the capabilities front end, you have back end, you have product managers, project managers, et cetera. And so, you know, again, like taking that product management management mentality to data analytics helps us focus on what is the business problem that this is solving, right? You know, you're, you're, in this case, the product is most likely an internal product for, for your company because you're really, you're, you're enabling other folks from the business with data analytics, but that product manager is the one who's responsible for a roadmap and user stories and making sure that we're connecting it back to a business value. Again, like you kind of circling back to our earlier conversation, it's less of this build it and they will come mentality. It's like, okay, we're really going to make sure that we're solving the right problems for the business and we're delivering value to the business rather than just spinning our wheels with uh, cool technology. Well, in, uh, in a post COVID world, uh, you know, most organizations have moved really to uh, a, it could be a long-term or, or permanent hybrid model has the focus on hybrid, whether it's temporary or permanent, has that changed? Uh, like what your customers are asking for, what you're working on with them? You know, it's it's a good question, but but actually no. I mean, I think that a lot of the same things that we've seen prior to COVID are still are still issues. I mean, like a lot of our customers could be big global, you know, Fortune 500s or even national companies. A lot of our customers are still distributed and remote anyway. They were kind of before that, before the before the pandemic. Uh, and we still we still have all the same issues, right? It's like whether you're on Zoom doing it or you're in the same room doing it, you still need to make sure you have the data governance, the centralized data, the sort of you know common definitions, the common framework of thinking about these things, the team structures. Um, and I think over, you know, especially with software development, 
um, you know, again, taking some of the lessons from, from software development, you know, having the, the right uh, asynchronous communication, the, the sort of all the things that you need to actually work across time zones and across locations uh, are super important. And, you know, I think a lot of our customers were there in some form or fashion, but again, it's kind of having like a, a similar language and framework to talk about the data and analytics piece that, you know, you need that whether you're in the same room or whether you're in, in different rooms over a Zoom call, so. So I, I'd love to know what, like, what are some successes that you've had? Some, I don't know if you have some case studies, some some customers that you can kind of share what that experience was was like, what you worked on them, what what the wins were out of those those uh, engagements. Yeah, there's a, there's a really good one that comes to mind that, that I think is really representative of the type of work that we do. And this is a very very large media and entertainment company. You would know the name if I told you, uh, but probably wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't like it if I used their name. But long story short, right. They're moving um, from a sort of movie theater, TV world to direct to consumer streaming. You know, you know, I mean, it's very in the news these days, all the streaming wars. Um, but they had a cloud initiative enterprise wide. So, OK, guys, we're moving to the cloud. Uh, the data analytics team was like, hey, um, we're not sure how to do this. Right. We know we got to move to the cloud, but, you know, data in the cloud is new for us. So, so we really need to understand the, the possible you know, technologies, the pros and cons, and just how do we do this? They had actually had a few different, um, you know, uh, cloud data and analytics initiatives that they started that then kind of just didn't get off the ground. Uh, I don't think that they really took that business first approach. Uh, and, and the business team um, wanted to understand, you know, hey, if we launch a new show, this is an ad-supported product, one of their ad-supported products. If we launch a new show, how many folks are going to watch this thing? Because we need to know how many ads we're going to show. Uh, and we need to know how long people are going to watch in the show because that depends also, you know, that, that also impacts the number of ads. Um, so we came up with the, with, the, with the architecture. So kind of hearing their business requirements and understanding kind of where they were at. Um, I mean, they actually literally called us up and said, hey, Excel's breaking. We're trying to put clickstream data into Excel, right? And, and it takes us six hours to put together the spreadsheet for a dashboard that we can only update once a week, but it goes up to the senior executives and they want more frequent data. They want more trust and confidence in the data. Yeah. Uh, came up with the architecture, you know, built out a lot of the pipelines, you know, migrated a lot of data from on-premise Hadoop into the cloud. Um, but again, a lot of it is, is, you know, that that's all stuff that is, you know, relatively straightforward. It's more around like, hey, what is the definition of a view of, of like, is it the first 30 seconds of the of the show that they need to watch? Is it the first minute? Um, you know, what is the definition of an ad slot? You know, <laughs> like those type of things, right? It's, it's, it's kind of getting into the mentality of like, hey, guys, how do you think about your business? And, and what is what matters to you when you go talk to your advertisers when you're selling these ads like okay we want to know about demographics and where they're located and what device they're you know they're watching it on connected tv their laptop their phone so all these different questions are really you know we spent a whole ton of time in discovery walking them through that um, but at the end of the day long story short you know now they come in morning cup of coffee they have their dashboard there it's automatically updated every day as opposed to every week and no one's maintaining these crazy spreadsheets we also put into place a master data management program so that, you know, the funny thing is like they would actually have uh, different show names coming from different data sources. So, you know, if you had, uh, let's say, The Bachelor versus Bachelor comma The, right, uh, you would have two different rows on your report. And that that doesn't make sense. Right. So we, we came up with a way to actually combine some natural language processing with data stewardship to actually combine those things and to make sure that once we you know associated these two different names together, they would always be associated and, and have a way to actually review that. Kind of goes back to my comment about that that governance. That's part of that ongoing, you know, data cleanup. 
I, I think that's one of the uh, things that people that aren't familiar with this world, uh, uh, their, their eyes kind of open up as they start to understand that you can't just take the raw data and you just go plug it in and then the dashboard and it just works. There's so much, you know, uh, cleanup and, yeah. and massaging of data that has to happen for it to look pretty on the other end. Of course, once you define the connections, you have all those things and it's running, it's working, but then you're constantly looking at, you know, is this giving us the results that we want? Uh, are we asking the right question uh, from, as a business, this goes back to the outcome versus the requirements. Like, are we really learning what we, what we think? And this, this really kind of goes back to that initial statement that I made about, uh, you know, showing customers the new before and, and that skews what they ask for. But an interesting thing happens when you get a version 1.0 out there is that the lens of our understanding expands. We yeah. get a better idea. And then we suddenly, we know to ask questions we would have never known to ask before. That's so much about what data science is. It's, it's, it's not just the art of what is possible like today with our limited knowledge, but it's how that allows us to speed up. The speed of that innovation increases once you have those deeper insights. That's, I think, what I get the most excited about about being in this space. And I came to it in this, this space, you know, from the project management world, building PMOs. And, and so working with, um, so this is back in 99, 2000, I started working uh, out of, uh, I think they were in Emeryville or Oakland, California, with a company called Project Arena, which was really one of the first, if not the first, SaaS-based project management solutions. And we're going head to head with Project with uh, with Microsoft Project and the early versions of Project Server, which were garbage, by the way. But anyway, uh, but in that space, people weren't interested in the tools to track time. Yes, they were necessary. We all need those tools out there. What they were interested in to know is at the end of that, we're like, okay, we delivered a hundred projects this last year. What do we need to change to deliver two hundred projects or products? Um, you know, how can we get, instead of it taking us 12 weeks, can we reduce that to four weeks? What does that actually mean? How, how do we know that the project is a third of the way in? Do we know that we need to add more people to it and where within that? And it's, it's interesting when you start getting in and just go read some of the, the work that's been done around supply chain and demand planning and that side of it, where systems are so intelligent now where you could actually go and say, well, if we make a design change to this product, and let's say we're creating a, you know, a, a new Xbox, but we're going to make the profile of the box smaller. Well, you make the box smaller, it changes the components within it. Well, if we change the components within it, do we have, you know, can the manufacturers of the components deliver a modified version you know, and going back to the raw materials, can they do all that? Can trucks be on the road to deliver in stores in time for Christmas? Like you can know that the impact, the change we want to make, how that would be detrimental to delivery to stores of product for the holidays. It's, it's incredible what's out there. And then you can make decisions about not, can we do it, but should we make this change given the impacts of there? That's a completely different way of of kind of looking at, and I know I'm talking about, you know, hard physical product around there, but in the software world as well as the, you know, in the virtual world. 
Well, that's 100% correct. I mean, and you have that great example of Zara as well, right? That, that's that, you know, again, like, you know, and, and even that story, it's like, we're not talking about big data technologies and things like that. It's like, okay, what does this value uh, unlock for, you know, what kind of value does this unlock for you when you have these capabilities? And it is about speed. It is about the innovation, right? Because like I said, in this example of that case study, you know, they took them six hours to put together a spreadsheet. They can only look at the data once a week. You know, you know how, how okay, you have a question about what's going on in your business and someone's going to tell you, all right, sorry, guys, got to wait another week for that, right? Like the update doesn't come until next Monday and it's Tuesday, right? You know, and like you got to wait a whole cycle. Uh, so imagine what kind of speed and velocity you can have uh, when you have that flexibility to get all the, the answers at your fingertips. You have a question, you jump in slice and dice, create your report, drill down. And then now we have so much better, uh, so much better of an understanding around what we can do, how we can do it. And should we do it as, as you pointed out? So where should organizations begin? So what, you know, and, and really what can, you know, maybe even as a precursor, I mean, I'd love to, to, to understand like as, as dust 42 goes in, works with the new client, like what your kind of your methodology is to, to start people out. But also, what can people start doing and thinking, changing about the way that they're operating today to kind of prepare for you know, an engagement like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, of course, we do a lot of discovery, as we kind of talked about, around the business processes, the use cases. You know, like I said, my favorite question, of course, is how do you make money? Even, that, even if you assume that you think you know how they make money, right? A big well-known company, you might think that they know uh, that you know how they make money. But in a lot of cases, what you'll start to get into is like all the details and, and all the thought, right? That they've put into their, their business and their company, which as a consultant, we'll never have that depth of understanding, but we want to get as much out of that. And it always is exciting to me to just hear smart people talk about what they're doing in, in their business. Mm-hmm. Um, so that discovery, that use case, all that kind of stuff that we talked through, um, but, you know, we always start small. We, we identify two or three high, high value, really critical use cases that we can deliver within 12 weeks. You know, we're not taking the six month, you know, waterfall approach. It's like that very iterative approach. Um, and we have to have that alignment from the business because what we're going to say is, hey, guys, if we deliver this, how excited are you going to be at the end of this? And, and how, um, like you said before, you're going to what other questions and things is this going to spark in your mind? And, how, and, and then now we're going to start tackling this in a more. Of a, of a vertical kind of subject area basis. Um, but again, I think I would just say, start small, identify those one or two things that are super critical for your business and, and go for it. Yeah, I think uh, I, I've always, uh, not that I've spent you know, expensive time as a, as a consultant around that, but usually when a customer comes in and says, what we're really looking for is help in deploying, we've already made the decisions around that. And, and coming in from the outside, I mean, I, I'm sure you do the same thing as I, I like, I'll, I'll question every one of your assumptions. Oh, yeah. Like, I, like I need to go. It's like when you call into support and they're asking you all of those painful details of like, did you try turning it off and on again? Did you log it? Like going through that, that process because like, and no matter how annoyed we are at that, it's, it's also frustrating how many times we find out that we missed one of the fundamental steps and that was the, the issue. But it also helps in the support person. It also helps the consultant going in to know, okay, have you gone through the proper setup? Have you, you've, you've gone through the proper steps to, to go through and really kind of de- that definition, you know, of what is, what is the space? What is the problem we're really trying to solve for? What are we trying to reach as a, as a business? Yeah. And as technical people, I think a lot of times we have uh, a bias to start solutioning right off the bat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I it's like, oh, I, I know what you need. Let, let me just tell you what you need, right? But like, yeah. you know, you, like you said, 
you have to sort of question all the assumptions. You have to really start from from ground zero and build up your understanding. And you know, to be honest, you know, as a consultant, uh, I'm going to come into your business and I'm going to assume that you probably have thought a whole lot about this problem before you called me, right? So there's a whole bunch of stuff that you've probably tried or done or attempted or think you need to do. And I want to understand that genesis of kind of how we got here and, you know, okay, what's worked out for you? What hasn't worked out for you? Okay, you want to choose XYZ technology. Tell me about why you think that uh, and, and how you how, how successful has that been and, and things like that. So we really start from kind of a, a you know, as a good analyst or as a good uh, data person, you almost always have to start with that skepticism. And to your point, sometimes it's a little, it could seem a little frustrating because, you know, even a lot of people on my team want to start with the solution and the technology and, you know, we always have to rein that in. So, well, that's why I'm, you know, I, I really am a believer in, you know, a collaborative approach to every problem that's out there. It's like, look, there's a lot of things and I might know the answer to that. But even when I know that, I, as I talked about, I, when I started almost 10 years ago, my the Collab Talk Tweet Jams, it was about breaking outside of that, that echo chamber and getting other voices in there. And it's I may be 100% correct in what's needed for that solution, but I guarantee that I do that and I bring in other uh, uh, opinions, other perspectives that improve upon that directionally correct solution that I had already, that conclusion I had already reached. And that's one of the best, it's going to be better by having gone through that, that process. And so, and, and there's plenty of executives, plenty of companies out there that realize like, hey, we may have an idea, we may be 90% of what we need to do, but let's bring in that external, that expertise, that other voice, and and to, to make sure that we're, validate the, the decisions that we've made, validate the ideas and what we're trying to do, and then also get a broader perspective of what else within that art of possible, you know, could we be doing? What have we not, what have we missed? That's why you have editors, you know, <laughs> in writing content as well. You have, you have uh, outside voices come in and, uh, and read through and, and uh, you know, have opinions that can add to embellish on what you've provided there, or just say like this, that makes absolutely no sense. So. I always appreciate those voices. <laughs> no, my pleasure. My pleasure. That's awesome. Thanks, Christian. Well, hey, no, Nick. So uh, people that want to find out more. So what are the best ways? I really appreciate your time today, but want to find out more about you and your company. What are the best ways to reach you? Yeah, just simply DOS42.com and uh, Nick at DOS42.com. Always happy to help and, uh, you know, wherever I can. So, you know, feel free to, to reach out. Really enjoyed our time today. Really appreciate your time making the time for the Collab Talk tweet jam or the Collab Talk podcast. Yes, I make the difference there. Talking about some of the things. But thanks a lot for your time, Nick. And we'll uh, hope to connect soon. Yeah, thanks, Christian. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Dux Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint, and I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, 
casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens podcast. <laughs>